I feel like that these stories impact three groups of people the most. First, if this is your first Stones of Remembrance, you're going to catch up the whole history of how we got here kind of a thing. And you're going to feel more apart. If this is your first Sunday, I always say to people, if your first Sunday was Stones of Remembrance, God had his eye on you. Because I've met so many people who said, how did you find Seminole Community Church? Oh, we were there that. Our first Sunday was Stones of Remembrance. We had no idea. And now we're here forever kind of a thing. Um, the other group of people that I feel like it impacts are our students. That's why I want you guys to always tune in every year. You're either going to be in here or you're going to be watching from your Sunday school classes because I want you to hear these miracles year after year after year after year, six or eight years in a row. If you go through our youth group, it's eight years. And, and I want you to know these by heart by the time you get to college and some professor tells you God's all bonk, God's dead, these miracles, the Bible's all a bunch of fairy tales. I want you to wrestle with that. This faith has to be yours, young people. Students, you've you got to either believe your English lit or your philosophy professor, your biology professor, or you can choose to believe all the things that I'm going to tell you. And there's so many eyewitnesses that it's, it takes a lot more faith to believe there isn't a God than it does to just go, well, maybe Jesus really is real. So for I don't have anything against the atheists. If, if we, we have atheists that come here sometimes. They're like, I don't know if I believe this whole God thing, but I want to check it out. This is a safe place for you to do that. Um, in fact, maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you've come here and you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior. I hope that these stories will build your faith so that you'll be ready to do that. The third group of people that this impacts the most are people like me who've been here through the whole thing. Because I get it. If I was hearing this for the first time, especially if I didn't know Jesus yet, I would be thinking to myself, there's no way. There's just no way. He's making this stuff up. You know, pastor types have been known to make some stuff up, okay? I'm sorry for that. But my kids will tell you. My daughter, she has been here. She's the first person in the nursery. Josh since he was five days old, he's been here. They will tell you, my dad might exaggerate about the dolphins. He does not exaggerate about God, okay, because I don't have to. So let me just start by telling you a story that I've only told one other year, last year. And, and I, well, maybe we'll tell this every year from now on. Um, uh, last year, about this time, we were doing a remodel in Kristen and Nick's uh, house over in Deberry, remodeling their kitchen, busting up the floor, moving cabinets around, taking out a wall, putting in a beam. And I was kind of the project manager for that. And... We had hired this guy named Mike, Mike the electrician. And uh, Mike's not a believer at all, I don't think. Um, he didn't act like a believer, didn't claim to be a believer. Uh, he, was, he was astonished when uh, I, I told him, yeah, Nick, my son-in-law, is our college and high school pastor. And he's like, how big is your church that you have a college and a high school? You have a pastor just for college and high school? Like, look, we got a huge college ministry, huge high school ministry. Yep, that's Nick's full-time full-time gig he probably 60 70 hours a week doing that and he was like ah. so he's like oh how many people go to your church and i said well actually you know we're talking about this pat this this week this was a year ago this week and um i said we started with 11 people in a funeral home he's like really i, I said before covid hit we had about a thousand people a thousand different people coming each month you know once a month twice a month but it was about a thousand different people so he said this. He said something that nobody has ever said to me before, and it took me back a little bit. He looked at me. He said, you must be really proud of yourself. And I'm like, whoa, you know, what do you, what do you mean? He's, he's like, well, you've gone from 11 to 1,000, you know, I'm like, yeah, 28 years, you know, overnight success of 28 years. And, uh, 
And um, if you only knew how many times ee, we flatlined, right? Um, and I said, and, and I know he didn't get this, and I'm okay that he didn't get it, but I want to make sure that we get it, okay? You need to get this. I need to get this. I said to him, I said, Mike, I said, actually, I said, I'm not proud of myself. It's a, it's a God thing. He has no idea what those words meant. I said, it's a God thing. In fact, I told him, I said, Mike, I really believe God did this not because of us, but often in spite of us or in spite of me. And I want you to really understand, because we don't ever want to take credit for any of these stories, any of these things that happen. This, none of this was my idea. In fact, God has taken the messes that we've made, and he's turned them into the miracles that we're going to talk about today. And we'll keep talking about. And for those of you who don't know what we're doing these two weeks is, you know, for centuries, families have gathered together and they've told the stories of how their families got to where they are. Whether they moved from the north to the south, or the south to the, to the north, or the east to the west. There's the story. It's this is how we got here kind of stories. Maybe you've done that with your, with your families. That's what we do the Sundays before uh, in November heading into Thanksgiving. We talk about everything that God has done, his faithfulness in the life of this church, and this is how we've gotten here so to speak. And I always start by asking this question, do you believe in miracles? I do. I have no choice but to believe in miracles because I know these things. I saw these things happen. But I have to admit that they are so humanly unbelievable that if you have a little healthy skepticism like, I don't know, that's okay. That's okay. Because I kind of do too, and I lived that. I was, uh, Nancy and I had a cruise this week, and um, talk about shortages, there was no Diet Coke on the, whole, on the whole cruise ship. I'm like, what? I want my money back. What is with this logistics thing? There's no Diet Coke? Are you kidding me? And um, so we're, we're, we got off the ship Saturday morning. We're driving back from Miami. And, um, and I'm listening to, the, to old Stones and Remembrance services. And I'm just, I'm just pouring these tears out. And I said to Nancy, I said, this is so, I wouldn't believe, if I hadn't lived this, I wouldn't believe this. Because when he's like, oh, I don't know. So if you're like on the atheist side, you believe in coincidences, I'm going to tell you about 100 coincidences that have happened, 100 in a row. But if you're a person of faith like me, you're just going to know. The Holy Spirit's going to bear witness. That God did that. Yep, I did that. God did that. Yep, I did that. Because he has been so faithful. And I hope that that will impact you in a way that allows you to face your future because I don't know what kind of miracle you need in your life. There's people that I know that they need a miracle for their marriage or they need a miracle for their relationship with their kids or they need a health miracle right now or they're not going to make it or they need a financial miracle or they need some other kind of, kind of miracle. Let me just tell you, God is still in the miracle business. Yes, he is. And he, you will have some of those. We talked about the, the, the spiritual markers. You'll have some of those spiritual markers in your life that will help you to be able to face whatever storm that may come your way. Great is your faithfulness. And we're asking God to do it again and believing he will. Some of the things we sang this morning. So in the third, fourth, and fifth chapters of Joshua, we find the biblical inspiration for our annual Stones of Remembrance services. I told you last week how God brought the children of Israel through on dry ground. If you did not hear last week's message, it's totally worth your time to spend an hour listening to that online or watching it online. And it's very easy to do. You do that while you're running or while you're driving or whatever so that you can hear kind of the setup for these, these miracles we're going to talk about today. 
Um, And then God told Joshua in chapter 4, I'll read you these verses, uh, verses 1 to 3, 6, 7, and 24. So when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, Take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them in a place where you will camp tonight. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you. Your students will ask you. Your middle schoolers and your high schoolers, they're going to ask you. What do these stones mean? And then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful. These were the stones of remembrance. And God was teaching his people the importance, even the imperative, teaching them to not forget the miracles of God. And when you can look at the miracles that God's done in your life, or you can borrow the faith from the miracles God's done in the life of our church, it can help you as you're facing whatever storm, even like a pandemic, even though everything we've been going through, it helps me to know God didn't bring us this far to leave us. God didn't, God didn't wake up one day and be surprised. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And I'll tell you, over the last 28 years, he's proven himself faithful to us. He's still in the miracle business. Now, God has always, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell the early service until it was almost too late. Uh, this is the, one of the three Sundays I reserve 15 extra minutes. I'll make it up over the year, hopefully. Uh, I'll give you like a minute a week, uh, uh, some weeks. Uh, so we're going to finish at 12.15 today, this week, last week, and Mother's Day when we dedicate all the children up here. Those are the weeks that we go 15 minutes over by plan. I actually went three minutes over our 15 minutes. They didn't listen too quickly in the early service. Um, but don't worry. I can go all day with you guys. Nobody coming in after you. Um, all right, so let me... Let me we just kind of give you a real quick recap for those of you who just tuned in or who are just here today, weren't here last week, and you haven't read, you haven't caught up yet. Our church has always been provided. God has always provided us a place, is how we got here, and people and a purpose. I told you we started in the funeral home. I told you the story about how God spoke to me through the tissue on that guy's face. Um, you should go hear that. Um, then we moved to Gold's Gym. We were only there 16 weeks. I told you how that 4x4 went through the plate glass door. They stole everything about, except the most important piece of sound equipment. Um, and, and when God sent us $2,400 from all my friends, that wasn't my friends doing that. That wasn't me doing that. that. God did that. And we bought a new sound system. I told you we moved to General Cinema. I forgot to tell this service all the crazy names. We met in Striptease. We met in Dumb and Dumber. We met in Sinful Obsession. We met in my, my personal favorite. Come, Hey, welcome to church. We're in Natural Born Killers. You know, and like, why did anybody come to church? I don't know. Um, so I told you how God spoke to me while we're at the theater with 14 bathrooms to call the pastor from the gathering place and swap places. I didn't orchestrate all that. God did that. Uh, I told you how we went to Wilson Elementary School. We met in the cafetorium. Um, and while we were in Wilson Elementary School, we had our first chest of Joash because we got kicked out of the school too, y'all. Um, they had this policy. You couldn't stay there for more than a year. They enacted that after we'd been there eight months, so we had one more year. We were at Wilson for a year and eight months. We did our first chest of Joash offering. We spent six weeks before that um, Thanksgiving talking about it's time to build we found, I'm going to tell you how we found the land, or I actually told you last week, I'll review it. Um, and while we're at the school, we 
we pledged. Now, listen, we had 120 people. When you have 120 people and you say we're going to spend six weeks talking about giving a huge pledge over three years to buy land and start a building fund or plans for a building, you know what happens? Your church doesn't grow. It shrinks. All the fringe people are like, oh, he's talking about his money. So they're all at Northland or wherever. And, um, and we went from 120 down to 50 to the point where we didn't even need a building at that point. We're like, we might not even need land. You know, we can, we can meet in a telephone booth. Uh, but God was pruning us. And we, like we talked about Gideon a couple months ago, God was reducing us down. So that everybody would know when they made that pledge and when he was going to do what he was going to do in January, everybody there knew this is a God thing. So we go from 120 down to 50. Regular people, they made this pledge. They pledged $130,000. And we gave $30,000 in cash from basically, I don't know, it was probably 10 families, 10, 15 families, 50 people. And... Um, in this, there was gold, there was jewelry, there was the bass boat title I told you about last week from the Redneck. There was Chuck E. Cheese tokens from my son Josh's bank. Um, this church sacrificially gave, we raised 30000 in cash, plus we got grants. It was Hug a Baptist week. Did you guys hug a Baptist this week? You know, the Baptist Foundation, uh, the Florida Baptist Convention gave us 35000 The Seminole Baptist Association gave us 15000 A local Baptist church, Westview Baptist, gave us another. They gave us $60,000 to buy our land that we built this church on, no strings attached, and then we raised the other 30000 And as I said, we shrunk. And that January, we started our first round through Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God course. And we started praying for four families to join us by Easter because we lost all these people, you know. But the 50 that we had were prayer warriors, and they sacrificially gave. And we started praying, God, send us, send us four families by Easter. We wrote it down so we could journal it. And that last Sunday of January, it was January the 31st, we had a friend day scheduled. And we've been praying for four weeks for four families to join us by Easter. And I get this phone call that very week, by the way. It's almost as if God knew we had a friend day. I get this phone call from this guy, Bill Twilliger, and he says, um, Hey, you don't know me. You went to school with my wife, Robin. She's a couple years ahead of you at Seminole High School. Um, here's our situation. Our church is kind of... Uh, dissolved. Our pastor has gone back into the counseling ministry. We don't have a pastor. We don't have a building. We're tired of trying to keep this thing afloat. This is First Lake Mary. Um, can we just come and, and visit your church? And they had called other churches, and the pastor said, no, nah, we don't really want you. Can you believe that? I mean, that's a miracle in itself. I don't know if I've ever even told that. Um, what, you know, pastor friends of mine. I said, what were you thinking? He said, I don't know what I was thinking. So, so he says they're going to... I say to him, he says, can we come visit? You know what I said? I said, do you have four families? Which is a crazy thing to say. It's almost as crazy as saying, do you have, how many bathrooms do you have, right, um, from last week's stories? So he says, yep, we have four families. In fact, my wife's sister and her husband, my other sister and her husband, us, and my wife's parents. That's four families just within our family. Plus we have some other French families that might join us as well. Gene Brown, the Bearings, Glenn Fleming, and a whole lot of others uh, visited that next week. So we're setting up the chairs, um, folding chairs. We still set up chairs every week. We're setting up the folding chairs. And remember, it's friend day. So as we're setting up the chairs, one of our trustees, Don Williams, looks at me and he says, Pastor, how many chairs do you want me to set up? Because it's friend day. And um, 
we had 46 people the week before. Now, Don was one of our, um, he came from another church. Uh, his daughter started going here. He was a chairman of the deacons there, just the most servant-hearted person you've ever met. Don went to be with Jesus this Thursday. He passed away Thursday or Friday, and uh, his service is going to be at Westview probably Wednesday morning. He became a huge mentor for me. He said some things to me as a young pastor. Remember when I started this church, I was 25 years old. Who wants a 25-year-old pastor? What, are, what, what do they know kind of a thing? I didn't know anything. Don said, you know, it's a privilege. Some of the things he taught me, he says, it's a he's a pastor, it's a privilege to be a part of what God's doing. And that stuck with me. I have said that thing. I have said it is a privilege to be a part of what God is doing, you know, dozens of times every year for the last 20, 25 years or so. Don also said to me, he said, Pastor Jerry, he says, your job is to love who God brings and let him settle everything else. Uh, he'll, he'll take care of everything else. And I've got to tell you, that doesn't sound like something you need to tell a pastor. Of course, pastors are supposed to love whoever God sends. But the way he said it, he said, Pastor, your job is to love whoever God sends and let God take care of the rest. And I've got to tell you, over the years, I have gone back to that statement because I've got to just be honest with you. Some of the people God has sent, they've been hard to love. You know, don't point at anybody, okay? But yeah, some of the people God sent here, it's been hard to love. That's our job to love them, let God solve everything else. And, you know, just like some of the people in the Old Testament that Moses had to love, yep, there's, there's a few of those we've had to love too. Now look, if you've never had to love a difficult person in this church, maybe you're that person. <laughs> just, just saying, just saying. For the rest of us, it's a common thing. All right, so... So Don looks at me and he says, how many chairs, Pastor? I tell you, there's so many great men and women who have come through this church who are now in heaven. I hope they get to, I hope they get to hear these stories when I tell them every year. Don looks at me and he says, how many, how many chairs do you want me to set up, Pastor? 46 people we had last week. I said, Don set up 100 chairs. His eyes got like, really? Like, Either really like you are crazy or really like you really think, you know, that God's going to. I said, Don, I think God's going to bring some of his friends here today. I didn't tell them about the conversation I had uh, with Bill. But sure enough, we went from 46 to 92, y'all. It was like all the people that left, God gave us back people who were just grateful. They're like, you're not, you're not going to quit on us. And you guys have plans for a building. And um, you guys have just bought property. And can we, can we want to join in kind of people. They were awesome. In fact, there's a couple of them that were hard too. Um, one, of the guys, one of the guys says to me, he says, oh, man, I'm so excited about the new building. Is it going to have an orchestra pit? <laughs> oh, you have totally misunderstood this whole concept. Orchestra pit. Can you imagine if we had a big orchestra down here? No, no. Uh, I said, this is like you've got to be thinking a warehouse with carpet. Someone else says, are we going to have any stained glass windows? I'm like, we can't afford stained glass windows. Are you kidding? There's no, we don't even have windows. Does there, you see a window in this whole place? There's not a window in this building until you get to the portable. <laughs> I said, no. Why, why, am I, why don't we have windows? They're expensive. You know? So, yeah, we're, this is, I said, in fact, I even said, this is how I said, I said, look, we're going to have a warehouse with carpet. You better hope we have air conditioning. They pray for the air conditioning. I told you last week, Floridians will pray for air conditioners. They'll even give for air conditioning. It's a, it's a miracle of God. All right. So I told you that we were looking for property. We tried to buy two other pieces. They fell apart. Um, this lady had given us $40 
in written down land fund back in the movie theater days. So I'm like, we don't have a land fund. And I'm like, I'm going to open up a whole other account just for this $40 check. And I did. And this was back in the day when First Union was around. And um, I'm convinced that the ladies at First Union, half of them laughed at us and half of them prayed for us because they're looking at it going, this church has a land fund with $40 in it for like three years. I won't buy a thimble of dirt out here. Um, so we found this piece of property. I told you how Nancy's father-in-law, my father-in-law, Nancy's dad, uh, decided to buy it and make it on a signable contract for for the church to have if we wanted it. It was only for sale for six six hours. And the Baptist, Hugga Baptist Week, uh, gave us 60000 plus our 30000 um, given through chest of Joash. You're all caught up. So let me tell you about the first building, the one you're sitting in right now. After the building campaign, at 130000 in pledges, I go to this foundation uh, who lends money to churches, and I say, you know, how, can, how much can we qualify for? And he comes back, his name is Joe. He says, uh, if we bend this rule, if I go get a variance, if I go to my board for an exception, we can qualify you for $250,000. I was like, whoa, what are those payments going to be? And um, we set out to build this building. It's 75 by 75. It's 5,600 square feet. Um, you have to understand there were houses out here for, that were more expensive than that. There were $250,000 houses out here. We had to build a whole building and a parking lot. And God decided to provide in some weird ways. Remember we talked about praying for people. God sent us some people. The first person he sent us was March 10th of that year. Don't ask me how I know all these dates. I'm like a date person, like a nerd. Um, maybe I'm on the spectrum. I don't know. It's like I shouldn't know all these dates. For, for Some of them I write down. Some of them I just know. He got here on March 10th. 1999, Jim Skinner was our construction missionary. I'd never heard of construction missionary in my life. What is a construction missionary, Jerry? Well, Jim was a retired Navy chief, then he built Piggly Wigglies for 25 years, um, and then he retired at like 65, and he decided he's going to spend the rest of his life building churches. Jim and Shirley Skinner built eight churches um, in their retirement years. One of those churches was our church. So Jim gets here, and... um, i got to be honest with you. He was like your grandfather to me. I loved Jim. He was one of my biggest encouragers. Um, I, still, I still sometimes feel like Jim's encouraging me. Um, but Jim was one of those guys that he could rub you the wrong way, like from the very beginning, um, because he was a know-it-all. He acted like a know-it-all, and he really was a know-it-all. He was always right, and that didn't make it better. That made it worse. You know, know-it-alls that don't know-it-all, that's one thing. Know-it-alls that really do know-it-all, that drives you nuts. So... He gets out his calculator, and in 15 minutes, he pulls out the plans, gets out his calculator, and in 15 minutes, he says, Preacher, you don't have enough money. There's no way you can build this church with $250,000. I'm like, well, Jim, that's, you know, unless someone's going to rain down money from heaven, that's all we have because, uh, you know, we've done everything we could. They did all of our financials based on the 1998 when we had 50 people. That's all we qualified for, and even then we didn't really qualify for it. So he says, well, you know what, I think, how, I think how we can do it. He says, we'll use volunteer labor. I'm like, what is that? He says, well, there's this organization called Missionary, Missionaries on Wheels. And um, <laughs> I, the, the first time he said it, I, I pictured people bringing chicken dinners, chicken and rice with a little, you know, I mean, Missionaries on Wheels. What is that? And it's this group of tradesmen. They all get in their campers and they go from place to place. Plumbers, electricians, drywall people, framers, um, and they build churches. 
or they help do churches do a remodeling project or an expansion or, or an add-on or something. So Jim starts calling all of these people. We get listed, and everything that was built here, a lot of it we did with volunteers. We had electricians from Georgia come do all the electrical. We had um, land workers come and clear some stuff. We had a youth group from Goshen, Alabama, that laid all of the sod around our pond. It was 150 pallets of sod, y'all. When they delivered all that sod, semi-truck after semi-truck after semi-truck after semi-truck after semi-truck, you have never seen so much sod in your life, and you're like, Jesus will come back before we ever get all this done. You know, it's going to die before we all get it done. And all, these, these teenagers laid, along with the church's help, and, and, you know, it was hard working just with church volunteers because you have a guy who's, who's an engineer next to a guy who's a letter carrier, post postman, and next to a guy who runs his own business, and these three guys are trying to put one post in the ground, and they all want to do it their way. You know what I mean? And I'm like, we're going to split the church over the, over the fence. Um, but we got it all done. God provided. We had sheetrock people, local guys that did all of the sheetrock. They did a movie theater at their job all day long, and they came here and, lay, and hung sheetrock from 8 p.m. till 2 a.m. for two weeks and did all the sheetrock. And these were all volunteers, the people that did this all for, for zero. I don't have time to tell you about my favorite story, Earl Elder, my plumber friend. I didn't tell it the first service, so I'll tell it next year. Um, Earl, Earl wasn't even a believer. He did everything uh, for free. So halfway through that July, we realized Jim Skinner's right. We don't have enough money. I've got to go back to the banker or back to the foundation uh, president or whatever he was, and um, Joe Howell. And I said, Joe, um, we need $150,000 additional. And he looked at me. He's like, oh, no. He's like, what? He says, you don't understand. He says, you should have asked for that up front. I said, well, I didn't ask for anything up front. You told me the number, you know. Um, besides, you wouldn't have given us $400,000 up front, would you? He said, no, no, you would have never qualified. <laughs> I said, yeah. So now we need $150,000. He says, you don't understand. If I have to go back to my board and tell them, they're going to ask me, and this is the problem. It makes it look like you guys don't know what you're doing. I said, well, I can tell you why that is. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> that was a given. Wasn't it? I said, you wouldn't have given it. No, wouldn't it? So he says, okay, I'll go. I'll, I'll go ask him. I said, you just ask. So he goes and goes to his board. He takes all the new figures. He calls me back. He says, you're not going to believe this. He said, they didn't give us some money? He said, no, they did. He said, but get this. He said, you remember how we had to get a variance and we had to get a, a, a bend some rules and we had to get it approved? And he says, we didn't have to do any of that this time. He says, not only did they give you the $150,000, we didn't bend any rules. You are bona fide reliably qualified for this whole extra $150,000. I'm like, whoo now we're really in debt, right? <laughs> I mean, the pay, I said, what's the payment going to be when this is over? He said, $35.55 a month. Now, we were paying $500 a month at the school at the time. That's seven times plus $50, $55 for, for extra. Seven times what we were paying. So I was, whoo Okay, Lord, I hope you got this. Um, so, we're humming along, getting this thing built. We built this whole thing in only nine months. So we're, going, we're already going on the fast speed. I didn't know that. I thought, it's taking forever. We're getting kicked out on December the 12th. We've got to get this thing done. And, um, and the people of the county, people in the industry are like, Jerry, it takes two years to build something like this. I mean, from the time you start permitting 
submit it to when you actually get your CO, certificate of occupancy, it can be at least two years, sometimes two and a half. Um, but we didn't know that or I would, have, I would have been so discouraged. So it's October the 10th or so, October the 10th or 12th, I get this letter in the mail. We're halfway done with the parking lot. We are starting to do some framing in here. Um, we're start, you know, our rough, our rough plumbing's done in, in the in the slab. The letter is from the Sierra Club. Now I have nothing as Sierra Club. If you're in the Sierra Club, more power to you. Um, but this letter is like cease and desist. You are operating. You're violating U.S. code, you know, environmental code, you know, endangered species code, paragraph section, and you are in the secondary buffer of an American protected American bald eagle. And by the time I'm done with this letter, I'm shaking, you because know, they sound like they're gonna come lock me up. So I immediately got in the car, drove to our attorney. And the attorney, who used to be my Sunday school teacher, huge help all those years, he starts reading them, hmm, hmm, hmm. These are not noises you want your attorney to be saying. I'm like, well, what? He says, well, I've got good news and bad news. So give me the bad news first. The bad news is they're right. You're in violation of all of this, and um, you're in the secondary zone, which means you can only, you can only build in the secondary zone, which is 750 to, five, to 1,500 feet, you can only build from May the 1st to October the 15th. It's a, uh, no, May 15th to October the 1st. It's a five-and-a-half-month building period annually. You can't build a building five-and-a-half months and then wait seven-and-a-half months and build a five-and-a-half months and wait seven-and-a-half months and then build five-and-a-half months. That's what they were telling me. And I'm like, oh, what? you know, we're getting kicked out, y'all. So, um. So I said, well, what's the good news? And, uh, and he, says, he says, the good news is, well, before the good news, I need to let you know, where I stand right now is exactly 750 feet from the pine tree that holds the eagle nest. Now, this was before the Internet, so you couldn't just, like, Google it and go, oh, there's an eagle nest right there. We didn't know there was an eagle nest there. And the way they found them back then was they flew in airplanes with binoculars, and they look at all these, oh, there's a big clump of sticks up there. I bet that's a nest. Oh, nope, it's an osprey. Oh, eagle nest. And they would mark that, and it was protected. You could not build within 750 feet of an eagle's nest year-round, 12 months. So from here back, you couldn't build at all. The back end of our building and the pond, all illegal based on that statute. Or, or we won't say illegal, all in violation. Um, and then the next 750 feet, which goes all the way into Lake Forest, is where you can only build the five and a half months a year. So this is a problem, right? I said, well, what's the good news? He said, well, the good news is the Sierra Club doesn't have any, any authority. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, they can't stop you. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, all they can do is complain to the Florida Department of Agriculture, the Florida Department of Game, the Florida Wildlife, all of those, you know, DEPs, uh, FDL, you know, all, all those initials you don't ever want to hear. He says, so here's what I suggest. Very wise attorney, um, especially stating the obvious. Um, he says, I suggest you work really fast on the outside of the building and get everything done. Focus all your attention on the parking lot and get everything done. Because once... He says, once you're done outside, you can continue working inside. That's what you're allowed to do. But you're not allowed to do any work outside. Um, he says, and 
He says, I would, I would make you, I, I would suggest this, that when the people with the guns and the bullets, the guns and the badges show up, that you stop. I'm like, duh, you know. I, I didn't even need you to tell me that. You know, if the people with the guns and the badges show up, we're stopping because I don't want to start a jail ministry just for me. So I come back and I tell everybody, Mr. Skinner, everybody, look, we got to focus on the parking lot, get everything finished. Because it's, we're already 12 days into this. You're not allowed to work outside buffer time. And here's what God did, y'all. And I don't understand how it could, the timing of this was just, just so perfect. We get that letter, which we needed because that letter got us in. We, we were working fast outside after this. And we worked hard to get everything done outside. The people with the badges and the guns did not show and did not show and did not show and did not show. It was like God was keeping them awake, and we just kept working, 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 working until we were totally done. And then they showed. Do you know where they were during those five weeks? It was five weeks that we worked outside in the violation time zone. Do you know where all those guys with the badges and the guns were? They were at the beach. What were they doing at the beach? They were guarding turtle nests. If, you, if you've been in Florida long, you know, if you're over in October and November, Flagler Beach, Ormond Beach, Daytona Beach, South Daytona, Daytona Beach Shores, New Smyrna Beach, Ponce Inlet, um, Turtle Mound, uh, Brevard County, um, Cocoa Beach, you know if you go over there during that time, you, you turn on any light, you're, you're like walking and it's dark. You turn on a flashlight, look at a crab. It's like, shoop, five people show up. You know, they're like, turn that light off. Where'd you come from? We're guarding the turtle nest, you know. Because if the turtles see a light in the middle of the night when they hatch, they hatch between 5 p.m. and 9 p.m., if they see a light, they'll like run to the light and get run over by a car or something, not run to the moon, even though they've been doing this for thousands of years without our help. But nonetheless, they're all over there guarding all the turtle nests. And this is the story of how the turtle helped us beat the eagle. <laughs> it's some of our people's favorite stories. And as soon as Thanksgiving hits, like next week, two weeks from now, almost all the turtles have been hatched and already in the ocean. Who shows up? Florida Department of Agriculture, Florida Department of that. And they're like, we, we've got this complaint from the Sierra Club that you've been uh, building. In. And I said, look, our attorney said, as long as we're done outside, we're allowed to keep working inside. And they look around, they're like, you're done outside? We're totally done outside. I said, good, we'll tell the Sierra Club to chill out. And, and we kept rolling on until December the 19th, which was our first Sunday of 99. December 19th, 1999. You remember what was happening around that time? Y2K. You remember all the Y2K talk? All the computers are going to stop. Everything's going to melt down. You know, you're not going to, the traffic lights aren't going to work. It's going to be, you know, Armageddon. It's, uh, you know, everybody's loading up on canned chicken and shotgun shells. And um, I did. I ate canned chicken for a long time. I still got shotgun shells from Y2K. A little bit of redneck in all of us. And, um, and, and we get kicked out on December the 12th. Our first Sunday is going to be December uh, the 19th. It was Nancy and I's 12th anniversary, 
December 19th. You should write that down in case you want to wish us a happy anniversary. That's um, so Nancy and I are in Hilton Head on our anniversary that week just to get away, and we had our finals. I don't have time to tell you about all the finals we flunked. We flunked 12 things on the final inspection. Some of them were huge. We didn't have carpet yet. Um, they, had, they wanted us to bust out the, the front porch. It, it was just crazy stuff. Long story short, the county ended up giving us a temporary certificate of occupancy, which isn't really a thing. They really don't have those. But they said, all right, if you'll do seven of these 12 things and you'll put a sign on that door and this door and close that off and you guys can meet. So we did. We had our first Christmas Eve service, Christmas Eve of, of 1999. We had 120 people in here. We actually faced that direction. Uh, this room was half the size. There was a wall right where I'm at right now, uh, right where that door is. This was all back porch. Um, and where that bump out is on that wall back there, uh, the first uh, 15 feet or so uh, where the sound booth is, that was all offices and a little tiny lobby um, that was there. And we had 120 metal chairs with no carpet on Christmas Eve facing uh, that direction, and that's how many people we had. Um, so we moved in, and as soon as we moved in, like y'all, it was, and well, as soon as everybody figured out that the, Machines weren't going to take over, and Arnold Schwarzenegger wasn't going to stop when you come back as a Terminator. And as soon as everybody's like, oh, nothing happened. And, um, you know, it's 2000. Yay. Uh, I'm going to go to the gym, and let's go find a church. So all these people start turning in here because it's like, oh, y'all really are going to be a church. We were seven years old, um, but we had been nomads all those places. And now that we finally had a building, people started showing up. Now, when we moved in, we didn't know for sure if we could even make one payment. We had $7,000 left in emergency savings. That was two payments worth of our mortgage. Here was the plan. The plan was the first time we have to grab one of those payments out of savings, Jerry has to resign as full-time pastor and go back to being part-time pastor, running your floor covering business again like I had told you about last week. And we trusted that God would provide that way. So we really didn't know. In those, our first payment was February the 1st. And we made it without having to touch one of those. And we made the second one without having to touch those. And we've made them ever since. We've nev never had to take that 7000 out of emergency savings. In fact, emergency savings right now has over $100,000 in it. Is that crazy or what? Um, so God has provided. So we're meeting here, and all these new people are starting to come in. And... This was the only building we had. So if you've been down our preschool wing, you know we have a nursery room, we know a toddler room, and we know we have a pre-K room. There's only three classrooms over there. Actually, there was another one that we use for video now that was for storage even back then. And, um, and we, get all these, we get all these extra kids coming, and we're like, we don't have enough room. The kids used to sit in the auditorium for the music. The kids did that. Not because we wanted the kids in here for the singing. The kids did that because Nancy led worship. That was one of the trivia questions on Instagram this week. Um, Nancy led worship, and then she would go and teach the kids. So the kids were in here because their Sunday school teacher was leading worship. Um, and then she would take them out. It was a whole, when we started in the funeral home, it was a whole family affair. My little brother, half-brother Jeffrey, was in high school. He ran the sound board. Um, my mother-in-law did uh, Sunday school with Nancy. My mom did nursery with our one customer, Kristen. Um, Nancy's dad set everything up. My stepdad did. So we had, we had a whole work crew that couldn't leave us. They couldn't. They were family. We held their grandkids hostage. It's like you'll never see your grandkids again if you don't help us. So 
and people laugh at that every year like I'm joking. Um, but they kind of knew the drill. So, so we get all these new people in, and we start to realize, like, we've only been here six weeks, right? It's Valentine's Day of 2000, and we're realizing we need, we're going to need more space already, six weeks in. I mean, we, we've only made one payment two weeks ago, and we start talking about, well, maybe we could get a portable. Um, so we contracted. We start looking at portables, and for 20, it looks like for $25,000 we can get a portable. So I, I have, and on that Valentine's Day, the house next door goes up for sale. Now, that guy said he was a Christian, but he was, you ever met a real cranky Christian? Don't point at anybody, please. But he really didn't, like, you know, come across as a Christian. Because we, we, I went over, and I said, he, he hated that the church moved in next to him. In fact, I, I think he thought that we, like, depreciated his value. At one point, he, he said that he wanted to sell his house someday for half a million dollars. And, um, and I'm like, $500,000? I said, if he had just waited 28 more years, he could probably do that now, right? But I mean, 28 years sooner. So uh, I guess 21 years sooner. So he puts it up for sale. I go over and say, how much do you want for it? He says, we're not selling to the church. Well, how much do you I'm, We're not selling to the church. He wouldn't even tell me how much. This is before you could go on MLS or Realtor.com didn't exist. Um, so I'm like, oh, my gosh. The guy won't even tell me how much. So... My core, our core group started praying. And then about two weeks, three weeks later, we got the whole church praying. Does God want us to try to purchase the land? I sent a realtor friend over. He's a pastor who's also a realtor. He does a bunch of these. Uh, he flips houses and stuff, or he did back then. And um, he goes over, doesn't tell him he has anything to do with his church. He says, how much is it? $225,000. So we start praying about, okay, God, do you want us to make an offer? Now, I told people, don't pray about how, because we already know we can't do this. We only have $7,000 in the bank, and we, we've only made one payment, one whole payment in a row, maybe two by this point that we're starting to pray about this. Um, and, but pray. If this is something that God wants us to do, don't worry about how. It'll have to be a miracle anyway. So everybody starts praying. That year we had our anniversary banquet. And um, at the anniversary banquet, we had 80 people. Uh, we started on a Palm Sunday, so this is Palm Sunday of the year 2000. We have 80 people here. And I was standing right over where Brian. Brian, raise your hand real high. Yes. I was standing right where Brian is. That's where our stage was. We had, you know, all the tables set up, 80 people. We did Boston Market Chicken or whatever. And um, at the end, I said, you guys have been praying for three weeks about whether God, you feel like God's saying, the, let me hear what God's telling you. And people are starting to say, well, in those three weeks, in that three-week window, the county or whoever announces these things, um, they announced Astor, Astor Farms, like 350 homes. They announced Retreat at Wakiva. They announced Woodsong. And they announced Oregon Trace. Four brand-new subdivisions were announced. In those three weeks, we were specifically praying about, God, what do you want us to do about the property next door? So person after person after person said, Look, I don't know how, how it can happen, but I believe God wants us to pursue that land. I believe God wants us to make an offer. I don't know how, how he could do it, but I believe. So I said, okay, I've never done this before. I've never done this since. I just felt that. I said, all right, if you believe God wants us to try to make an offer on the land and the house next door, stand up. 76 out of 80 people stood up. Some of you are still here. You were here that night. 
You know, I tell it exactly as it happened. I went to the people who weren't standing. Two women were up front. Um, in fact, it was Don Williams' wife, Virginia. She was very good with numbers. She worked for a law firm. I said, Virginia, I said, are you saying God's telling you not to? She says, no, Pastor. I don't feel like God's telling me anything either way. But if everybody else feels like God's telling them, then I'm in. And same thing with Peggy who was sitting next to her. And then I went to the two other people who I didn't know and said, who are you? They were visitors. Their first Sunday was that Sunday. They heard the word banquet and just showed up. They didn't know it was a members-only anniversary banquet. And this is what he, why in the world would I even ask him? Well, what do you think God's saying is what I said to these two people who aren't supposed to be here, who nobody knows, who first Sunday in our church was that, was that day. Here's what he said. Some of you heard it just like this. He said, look, uh, we haven't been praying about this. We don't know what you should do, but let me just tell you where we come from. We come from a big, giant church in Texas. And here's what happened out there. They had 120 acres. I don't know if it was free and clear. I can't remember or, or not. But I, I remember this. They were praying for, they were raising the money to build their big megachurch. This is a church of 5,000, 10,000 people. Mega, mega, mega church. 120 acres. And they were approached by a, a commercial developer and said, look, if you'll sell us the 20 acres that are on the corner of this major highway and this major interstate, um, we will pay you enough money to pay off the rest of your land and build your whole building. And that's what God did for them. They had 120, traded the 20, got the whole big giant megachurch building, and it all free and clear. So he says to everybody here, so if God's telling you to do this, we encourage you to step out in faith. That's exactly what he said. I'm like, all right, unanimous, we're going to make an offer on that. And get out your uh, cheesecake or whatever the dessert was. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We were done. Four women come up to me at the end of that night. And they said, Pastor, would you mind, I can't believe they said it this way, would you mind if we pray that God gives us that land and that house free and clear? And I'm like, knock yourself out. I, I'm... I'm Almost ashamed to admit, I never once prayed that God would give us that free and clear. My mind was thinking, how can we finagle this? Maybe I could get five guys in our church each put down $10,000. We'll, we'll put the down payment. We'll buy it, and we'll rent it out for two years. When the church grows, we'll be able to refinance it and make the payment and pay these guys back their $10,000 and, and some interest. That's where my mind was at, Okay. But these four women said, we want to pray that God will give. Would you mind if we pray? By the way, I don't mind if you pray that God gives us anything free and clear. You, you have my blessing. Pray. <laughs> have I mentioned before you should read your Bible and pray about everything, right? Okay, so it's now six weeks after that night. We've contracted for the, for the portable. They have, it took ten weeks to build it because it was an assembly thing. It has no bathroom. They count the bathrooms over here. If you've ever wondered why there's no bathroom in there, we wanted the extra space not used up for a bathroom. But we had to wait for that. And it's the week after Mother's Day. So that's about six weeks from the six or seven weeks from the anniversary banquet. We're, Nancy and I are at dinner at this new family's house. And um, we just finished dinner on their veranda. I'm carrying my plate to the sink. Husband's walking in there with me. I could see the pecan pie on the on the counter, uh, my mind is on the pecan pie. He says, "Listen, he talked to you about something." I said, "What?" I said, uh, "Pecan pie," and uh, he was a great pie pie chef. So he says to me, "He says, look, he says sorry about being at the anniversary banquet. We didn't know that was a members-only thing." I said, "No problem." He says, "But 
I got to tell you something. On the way out, when we got to the when we got to the stop sign. Now you tell me, this is a coincidence or is this a miracle? When we got to the stop sign, he says, I turned to my wife and I said, now I know where we need to tithe on the stock options that we've been waiting to tithe on. And honestly, at that point, I didn't get it. I said, oh, cool. And he says, so we're going to make, you don't understand, we're gonna, we think it will cover everything. We're going to make a stock um, donation next, uh, next week, and um, we think it will cover everything. And I'm like, oh, awesome. Thank you so much, you know. How, how, how big is that pie, you know? I, I just didn't get it, what God was doing. It was right in front of me. He said, no, 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 you don't understand, and I didn't. He said, the stock we're going to donate is worth over $220,000. And I hit the floor. I was like, I got it then. And he says, and if you guys keep it, it might go up from there. And I'm like, well, look, i got to tell you, churches already decided a long time ago, if anybody ever donates stock, we liquidate it that day. Because we feel like stock market is kind of a little bit like gambling, you know what I mean? You, you can lose a lot of money in the stock market, some of you know. If you don't know that, good for you. <laughs> um, and and that, was a, that was a Saturday night. I got up right where Brian is sitting. I was standing, and I told the whole church the next morning, uh, we have an anonymous donation. They didn't want anybody to know who gave it. In fact, they didn't want any elders. They did it all through a foundation so nobody could know. They wanted no credit for this. And um, I told this whole story about what happened, and someone's donating 220000 or more worth of stock. And the church was like, they were like me thinking if you can't buy it. They're like, silence. And I, I don't know that they got it. They were in shock. So I started to preach, and one of our one of our trustees, Jim, stood up and said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, Pastor, hold on, hold on, I need I need to shout." I'm like, "What do you mean? Say all that you just said again, so I can shout." And I told the whole thing, kind of synopsis, really again, and the church went crazy, y'all. It was like it was like Pentecostals broke out everywhere. I mean, it's like whoa, people were jumping those metal chairs and high fiving, and it was it was bedlam in here. You think our faith soared when God bought us a new sound system? When that happened, it was just boom. Like our faith shot off like the space shuttle. Okay? I have no idea what I preached about that day. But at the end of that sermon, those same four ladies and four of their friends were down front with me. And they were kind of, their nostrils were flaring. And they were like, what else can we pay for, Pastor? <laughs> and and I might exaggerate that a little tiny bit, but it was a lot like that. And I'm like, you know what? I said, that house right over there in Half an Acre, we really need office space. That would make a great church office. Why don't y'all pray for that? And as God is my witness, my hand is on the Bible. I came to work the next day on a Monday. 24 hours after those ladies were, what else can we pray for? 24 hours, I come to work, hand on the Bible, swear. What is in front of that house? A U-Haul truck. And we walk over, and Rick, who was not a believer, we called him Rick the Pagan, we, uh, we went over, and um, we're like, Rick, are you selling your house? He's like, I rent. He says, I'm moving to Michigan. I'm going to work for my brother. He says, oh, by the way, where's that shovel? Oh, here's the shovel you lent me. Thank you so much. We got along great with Rick the Pagan, not so much with the other guy, the religious guy. 
And um, I said, well, will you please give me the name of your, uh, please give me the name. Yeah, I'm going to make it. I'm worried about time. Give me the name of your landlord because we'd like to see about purchasing this. So we call up the landlord. Landlord is an attorney. Attorney from Stetson. I went to Stetson for a year. I told him, hey, I went to Stetson for a year. been paying him for 10 years uh, for that one year. He said, yeah, I know what you mean. He said, I was Stetson undergrad and Stetson grad at uh, law school. So he says, I, I told him our story. I said, we would love to, we've been praying about that particular piece of property, 24 whole hours. Um, we were praying longer than that, but those ladies only had 24 hours. And um, he said, well, I would love for you to be able to get that because that property was not uh, used for such uh, holy purposes. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, he said, <laughs> he said, our client, we got that in lieu of payment for services for our clients. They're in prison. I said, what? He says, yeah, they had a cottage out back behind the house, and they had a cottage industry, agricultural industry, from that cottage. He says, if you see any weeds over there, that's not weeds. That's weed. <laughs> so the former owners of the house had been growing pot, marijuana, back before there was any medical exemptions, and uh, they were dealing out of the house there. So that all got tied up in this lawsuit and ended up, the attorneys ended up with it. And he says, look, he calls, he meets with his, he calls me back, he meets with his partner. He says, look, partner wants $80,000 for it. I said, well, it only praises for $70,000. That's all that we can get a, a note on it for. Um, so I don't, you know, again, we're only like five months into this building. And now we've already had this and we got more money coming and we got a portable and um, I, I, I think eventually we could get that, but um, we can't. We don't have ten thousand extra dollars cash. Here's what happened, y'all. Crazy. He calls me back. He says, "You know, my wife and I have talked about this. This guy has never been to our church. Not one minute. Not one second on this property." He says, "We want you guys to have it. So we'd like to, we'd like to donate a check for ten thousand dollars to Seminole Community Church." Because, so that you can get it because my partner is such a, this is his word, such a stick in the mud. <laughs> and Nancy and I drove down to Sweetwater, down to Sable Point, Sweetwater, walked in his office, and I, I verbally face-to-face talked with this guy for less than one minute, and he handed me a check for $10,000. The guy has never been here. don't even know if he's a Christian. And he did all that so that the pot house could become the church office. Are you kidding me? I didn't do this. God did that. I didn't do, how did God have the only two people who weren't supposed to be at the meeting, the anniversary banquet, be the two people who had the ability to pay for it all? And God had his people, again, in the right place at the right time, even though for us they were the wrong people at the wrong time. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go about three minutes over. Let me tell you the big, the million-dollar miracle, the one that everybody can't believe, and it's just nuts. So... We're hemmed in. We're growing. We can't expand because, like I said, the, the eagle's back there. And um, one of our elders says, hey, why don't we, one of our trustees at the time, says, why don't we look for some other property? I'm like, we're not looking for other property. Haven't you heard all the stories? This is where God wants us, you know? Haven't you been paying attention? But he said, well, could we pray about it? I said, okay, yeah, use, a, use that against me. So we prayed about it. And 
35 acres came up for sale out on State Road 46, $1.2 million. Nobody else wanted it. It was Mr. Wilbur's farm. If you grew up in Sanford, you used to go out there to pet the goats and ride the hay ride. And Mr. Wilbur, um, he, he, had, he was a trucker. He had like 350 truck carcasses on this 35 acres. And everybody felt like it's going to be an environmental disaster. All this oil is going to be leaking into the ground. No way does anybody want it. Well, we did. We gave him nine months. We put it under contract. gave him nine months to clean it all up. And we had a contingency as long as it passes environmental. Y'all, it passed with flying colors. It's like God protected that land. We thought we were buying that land to relocate to. God didn't want us to relocate. Obviously, we didn't. And here's how, here's how it went down. We bought that for $1.2 million. We owed 600000 here. We were going to sell this and move. That was the plan. We decided we're going to dedicate the land. We closed on it in May of 2004. We're going to go dedicate the land on July the 3rd, 2004. We had an event out there called Declaration of Our Dependence. We each had a stake. Many of you were there. We each had a stake with a favorite Bible verse, red, white, and blue ribbons on it. And at 2 o'clock, we were going to march over and drive a, a, a stake on the perimeter of the new building that we're going to build out there. We already had it all designed, all drawn up. It was all pretty. <clears throat> but God had another plan. We have a baptism and barbecue. We got the band out there. They're all singing. We're all under all these tents. We're having this big celebration. It's 4th of July weekend. Everybody who's not at the race is at our place. And uh, we even had a guy in our church, Brian, um, was the paramedic on the life flight. He was a helimedic. And uh, he had the helimetic, the life flight helicopter coming out there for all the kids to crawl in and tell them about how they save lives. Brian calls me 30 minutes before everything went down. He says, Jerry, we, they've grounded the fleet. There's a microburst storm coming your way in 30 minutes. And I'm like, microburst? That doesn't sound so bad. I didn't know what a microburst was. It sounds, it sounds small, micro. And it's not macroburst. So I'm like, what a bunch of wimps, you know. So I hang up from them. And I'm like, well, the helicopter's not coming, but the party must go on. And uh, we finish our baptism. And, um, y'all, 30 minutes later, it was like a hurricane hit. 60, 65-mile-an-hour winds. You should hear Pastor Rich tell it. He says, I remember holding Sophie in this hand. I'm holding a tent. And the, and the only leg that's not on the ground, off the ground is the one I'm holding. And the, and the tent legs are flying. He's like, we're going to die. We're going to die. And people, they took off. They grabbed their toddler. They grabbed their kids. They jumped in their SUVs and their minivans. And all you could see was brake lights heading out. It was, it was a storm. It was like, well, we've got to dedicate. We were so mad at God. Like, what are you doing, God? I mean, we, you know, we're trying to do this for you. So we rescheduled. Rescheduled for five, five weeks later, August the 8th. Now we don't have Fourth of July weekend, so we got to buy all these bounce houses, these big giant slides, the American Eagle on it, and it's like we're going to do this again. We get out there to do it again, and this time it, the storm, we get no warning, the storm comes up during the baptism. Lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. I'm telling Luke Brashears and Brady Richardson, they're getting baptized. I told them, look, you can't get baptized. You can't get struck by lightning while getting baptized. Don't worry. And they're like, okay, Pastor Jerry. <laughs> shoo, shoo, shoo. There's not a Bible verse for that, but it really, it, they didn't. So I kind of stand by what I said. Fastest baptism in the West. And the same thing happens. Tents are flying. People are running. And we didn't get to dedicate again. In fact, God totally stopped it. 
It was so fast people left. Pastor Rich and I, years later, went out to that property just to walk it, just kind of reminisce, and we found strollers. No lie. As God is my witness, we found strollers in the bushes. And we're like, you know this is from that day. People left their Graco's out on that, on, on that property. I'm not kidding you. All right. So we decided, okay, we're going to do this third time's a charm. We'll do it Labor Day weekend. Labor Day weekend never happened. Because you know what happened? Five days after August 8th of 2004, we all met Charlie. Three weeks later, Labor Day weekend, we all met Francis. Four weeks later, we all met Jean. If you're in Florida, they're first names. For the rest of the world, it's Hurricane Charlie, Hurricane Francis, Hurricane Jean. We had three direct hits come right over Sanford, Florida. And for the next two months, all we did was put blue tarps on people's roofs. Nobody's thinking about dedicating anything. We're just thinking about surviving because Florida was a mess up until the election. And I know that's a shaky word for people because everybody's got bad, bad memories of all their election oh, stories. Um, the election of 2004, Bush beat Kerry, and it was like all the developers must have been waiting for that because the day after the election, our realtor calls up and says, Jerry, I have three developers that want your property. One of them's offering a million dollars more than you bought it. I'm like, Tom, we are not selling. We are, haven't you been listening to the stories? I'm like, nope. And I hung up, and I thought, we should pray about this. I called him back and said, look, give us 24 hours. Do not tell them no yet. So we started praying, and we, we, we said, okay, God, maybe that's why you didn't let us dedicate it. God didn't, in fact, Ron Burkett was in the first service. He said, God didn't give us that building, that property to build on. He gave us that property to build with. So we put it under contract, then we put it under another contract when they left, and then we put it under another contract when they left. We put it under a fourth contract, and this time we said, look, we're not putting it under contract with any of you developers unless you put down hard money. $50,000 non-refundable. Nobody does that, but they did. And they broke the contract, and we t- they gave us $50,000 at the end of 2005. Um, we were in Biloxi helping the people from Hurricane Katrina when I got the news that they were breaking the contract. They gave us 50000 We kept it. Are you kidding me? And our, our elders, our trustees said, let's just use that. We're going to use that, and we'll develop it ourselves. So we did. During the time that we developed it over the next year, we got it approved for 24 lots. It became very valuable. And the eagle dropped off the endangered species list. Are you kidding me? These are all coincidences, y'all. God did all this. We were able to sell that land for $2.65 million. There's so many details I can't tell you. And we may, if you take out all of the money that we spent on interest and payments and engineering and, and um, soil samples and all of this, a cool million-dollar profit. And so Bob McGuire, one of our members, he just passed away a year ago. He said, you realize that eagle just made us a million dollars? I said, Bob, that eagle didn't do it. God did that. God made us look like geniuses right before we were about to go under. And um, and. We paid off the 600000 here. We bought the three and a half acres on the other side of the children's building for 270000 We took about $70,000, and we fixed things up around here, and we put some back into that emergency fund. We've had a love relation, love-hate relationship with the Eagle. All right, I owe you two more stories very quickly. Look, I know I rushed through that. If you want to listen to others, I go in a lot more detail. God did so many little miracles within all those big ones. But let me tell you about the paver and the pavilion story. Because sometimes we pray about things as a whole church, and God, and God gets everybody involved. Um, in 2008, 
that's after the recession. We didn't feel like Nancy was running the cleaning team. We have a church cleaning team, volunteers that come every Friday, and she was leading that at the time. And we had mulch out back and carpet down, carpet down the hallway. We didn't have any tile. Um, and it was a mess. Every time it rained, all that mulch got tracked in here. So Nancy and her team had been praying that God would give us pavers out back. And we didn't even bring that up to the whole church because the whole church, everybody was losing their job. Everybody was, it was tough. Financially, you know, we were suspending benefits and suspending retirement. So it's not like we can just go, oh, let's, let's spend $10,000 on, on pavers. But some people got a bonus that year. This guy that gets a bonus was out in Texas. He calls his dad who goes to church here. He says, hey, does the church need anything? And um, he calls me and I said, you know what? Nancy's been praying for pavers out back. And uh, his son um, his son said, well, I'm going to write a check for $9,000 to the church. And somebody who doesn't, used to go to church here but doesn't go to church here anymore um, wrote us a check for $9,000. And the, the economy was so bad back then, the guy who put all the pavers in was the owner of the company because he'd already laid off everybody in his, in his company. And I said, we only have $9,000. Can you do the whole thing? He says, I'll do the whole thing for 9000 bucks." Then we had been praying for a pavilion for about three years on my whiteboard over in the office. It said pavilion, $25,000. And we've been praying for that. We didn't tell the church. We didn't tell everybody in the church. You know, the core people, the staff, the elders, they've been, been praying. But we didn't try to raise the money for that. It was going to have to be like, God, you've you got to provide it. So we go to dinner with this couple in our church who knew about it, knew we'd been praying for it. And um, we go to Carabas. Before they had a Carabas here, it was down in uh, Longwood. And um, at the end of, the very end of dinner, he waited to the very end. Two hours later, he, pulled, he says, you know, I know you've been praying for a pavilion. We want to make a donation to the pavilion fund. He reaches in his pocket, been there the whole time, and hands me this check. I open it up, and it's $25,000 for the pavilion. Are you kidding me? I start crying in Carabas, y'all. <laughs> the waiter's like, is it too spicy? <laughs> It's way too spicy, you know. Oh, last one, water line, sorry. Um, I'll give you the same three minutes over. So in 2013, I get this letter, another letter. Actually, I got two letters two years in a row that I ignored because, you know, nobody with a badge or a gun showed up. So I ignored these two letters from the DEP, Department of Environmental Protection. And they were telling me that they were ungrandfathering us on our public well. We had a well out back. Um, we didn't drink the water. We had Publix water. We didn't drink it because it tasted so bad. So, but we used it for washing our hands and flushing the toilets and, you know, um, washing the dishes. Um, they said, yep, you, you have to put in a, a commercial well. It's going to be $35,000. When I got the third letter the third year, you could you could hear the badges and the bullets behind the letter. So now I'm scared. I go to my attorney. He's like, why would you ignore them? I'm like, yeah, you know, it's just a letter. Um, but now it's like we're going to start fining you $5,000 a day, and uh, it's going to cost you $35,000 to put in a new well. Get this. And 500 a month or 6000 a year forever to monitor it and test it every week. I'm like $6,000 a year. So I started talking to the county about, well, how much does it cost to tap into the, about $50,000 to tap into the county water. There was no county water out here when we, when we started this uh, whole project. So we decided, only, only, only $50,000. So I sent, out, I sent out a letter, and I say on Sunday morning, I need 50 families in our church to give $1,000 each so that we can get county water. And um, people, started, people started writing out checks for $500 and $1,000. 
And on that day that I said that, two people were here. One guy came all the time. The other guy, he only came about twice a year. His name was Rick. Rick comes up to me after, and he says, listen, I am a hot tap specialist. I'm one of only two in the central Florida area. Um, and I'm like, what is a hot tap specialist? He says, my guys jump down into the ditch, and they hook into the city water system without turning off any water. Saves you a ton of money. I'm like, well, that's cool. He says, I'll do it all for free. I'm like, you got to be kidding. The one day he's here is the day. There was no Internet. He couldn't watch it online. You know, he had to be here to hear me say that. And uh, he says, yep, well, I'll do it for free. Here's my card. Um, and then the other one was Jim Breeding. Now, Jim came here every Sunday. And Jim says, you know what, Jerry? He says, my, he was uh, a principal at uh, traffic control devices. He said, my guys will do the jack and bore under the road. We'll do the dewatering. And um, we'll do the traffic. We'll do the traffic control. I'll provide all that. I'll pay for all of that. Here's what happened. 50 families, 52 families gave $32,700 in about 30 days. And Rick and Jim did the rest. And we were able to tap in. Now, that might not mean anything to you. What's a bunch of water? It's just the same water. Listen, here's the thing. I told Nancy, I've never felt like more families have been all in for our church than that, than that week. We have 52 families standing shoulder to shoulder to shoulder to shoulder saying, DEP, we're not afraid of the DEP or the NSA or the, we love the NSA, they're probably listening. <laughs> all those three-letter agencies, well, I don't have time to tell you about the playground for 2016. Um, we had the kids pray and the playground was broken, the kids kept bringing stuff up. We did the same thing, 50 families gave $35,000. I don't have time to tell you about Pastor Doug showing up. Pastor Doug is going to be here next week. Uh, the day that he showed up, we were already praying for God to poof us in a youth group. I mean, can God do that? You can't. God doesn't do that. You can't just have your youth group go from 10 to 40 in one week. Well, we prayed, and God did it for us. And I see this Steeler flag. Let me show you the flag. Why would I have a Steeler flag? I didn't even get a chance to tell you about my jet friend, Earl. Um, the plumber, that's one of my favorite stories. I'll tell that next year, I promise. Doug comes in and says, you know what, I, I've got a youth group and our church is dis, uh, dissolving and I, te- I train youth pastors, I need, we need a place to land. And Bridgeway joined us um, in January 2002. D- and then later, Doug and I started Open Door Haiti Ministries. Doug's going to be up here next week and uh, we're going to interview him and have him talk about the Stones of Remembrance and the Open Door Haiti Ministry. I want to close with this verse because I don't know if you realize that some of you, when you got here, you felt something. Here's what you felt. You felt holy ground. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? Then the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals. For this place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did what he was told. Listen, some of you have come here and you felt like this is my place, this is my home. You can't explain it. Before I ever spoke, before you ever heard any music, you just felt something different. It's because, folks, you're kind of standing on holy ground. God did all this. Now there's a lot more that God's going to do. Do it again. We've, you know, we're praying for a new gym, some of us. We even have a future gym fund that has almost $5,000 in it. We're praying for an outreach center, community, similar community outreach center. Um, There's other things. I'll tell you more about that as we come. But that's all we have time for today.
Let's thank God. God, we love you. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for giving me the chance to, to tell these stories every single year. I pray that they will build our faith. And not only can you do it in our church, but you want to do these miracles in our life. Help us to put our full trust in you because you are always faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi, it's Mel. I hope you've enjoyed this look back at all that God has done for us as a church. And I hope that you'll take the time to remember and share with others how he's worked in your life too. Young adults, don't forget that the collective meets tonight. I hope to see you there. Have a great day. See ya.